0: I want to talk to you with, just for a minute about immigration reform. I have not given up hope on, on that issue, and I will never give up hope on that issue because it is an issue that's not going to go away. Not as long as there's 11 million people in this country who are living in shadows. Um, I've been and will continue to be very respectful of my Republican colleagues in the House, and uh, I will never treat them in any other fashion. But I, again, uh, continue to urge my Republican colleagues in the House uh, to come up with something that we can negotiate on, whether it be piecemeal, whether it be the DREAM Act, or whatever it be. It's a very complex issue. But facts are stubborn things, as Ronald Reagan used to say. Congressional Budget Office, maybe the only widely respected outfit in, in Washington today, Senate immigration bill reduce the budget deficit by 850 billion dollars over the next 20 years to add 300 billion dollars to the social security trust fund over the next decade according to the bipartisan policy center the reform bill would grow the us economy by an additional 4.8% over a 20 year period reduce cumulative federal deficit by nearly 1.2 trillion over 20 year period Increase residential construction spending by an average of $68 billion per year over a 20-year period. For my home state of Arizona, the bill would boost Arizona's economy output by $616 million and create 8,016 jobs within a year. The list goes on and on. It's the right thing to do for a whole lot of reasons, but also for our economy. We all know that our economy continues to stagger along. And Republicans who are dedicated to the proposition of increasing our economy, to creating jobs, this is one way to do it. And if anybody can tell me a way to do, to address the issue of 11 million people living in this country illegally, uh, any other way than through a legislative uh, fix, then I'd like to hear it, I'd like to hear it. There's not enough buses in America to round them all up and drive them back uh, to wherever it is they came from. So, um, and I'm a proud Republican. I'm a Reagan Republican. And I was around with Ronald Reagan. (coughs) So all I can tell you is that uh, Ronald Reagan would want us to move forward uh, with legislation. And I want to mention one other aspect of it that's important to my state, and that's border security. We don't have a secure border. We don't have a secure border. We still have people who were brought over by coyotes treated in the most unspeakable fashion uh, across our border. And one thing that's very disturbing is that there is more and more what the Immigration and Naturalization Service calls OTM, other than Mexican, that are coming across our border. In the southernmost uh, sector of our border, excuse me, eastern, southeasternmost, the Rio Grande sector of our border, 82% of the people who were apprehended last year are other than Mexican. That means they are coming from parts of the world that, um, by the way, most of them are from Central American countries. But there are also a whole lot of people that are coming from different places in the world. And over time, I cannot believe that we have um, that every one of those people are just there coming across to get a job. It's a national security uh, issue. Now I've been to Iraq and Afghanistan many, many times, and I can assure you that we have the technology to secure our border. The bill that we passed through the Senate calls for 20,000 additional border patrol agents and an additional $8 billion in spending. And by the way, that money is not out of future appropriations. That money is out of the fees that are imposed on people that are on the path to citizenship. And I am convinced that we can secure our border. The the goal of the bill, is stated in the legislation, is 90% effective control of our border and 100% situational awareness. We have the technology that can do that. We developed a radar, thanks General General Petraeus, we developed a radar in Iraq that not only detects people when they are trying to move in different directions, but it'll track them back to where they came from. Really, we have that kind of technology. So I just hope that, and finally, again, as a proud Republican, I can assure you that we will never win another nationwide race unless we address this issue. And that isn't just Donald McCain's <coughs> that reaction. Any pollster, any pollster will tell you that that is the case, because with the Hispanic, as it was with the Italians and the Irish and the Jews and the Poles and every other wave of immigrants that ever came to this country, that that is their defining issue, certainly the <laughs> overwhelming majority of them. George W. Bush got 44% in 2004. I got 36% in uh, 2008, and Mitt Romney got 27% in 2012 you can do the math now i understand that there are many republican districts that have very few hispanic population i understand that and that the people are representing their their districts but i can tell you in the state of arizona it's 37 percent of our population is hispanic and over 50 percent of the kids in school are hispanic again you can do the math so I believe that Republican Party, and I speak as a proud Republican, has everything that would appeal to an Hispanic voter. Lower taxes, small business, uh, pro-life, pro-military. I'd go down the list, but we're not going to have that kind of communication unless we get this issue uh, behind us. So I hope that we can either, sometime in the next few months, hopefully, that maybe we could at least see some kind of uh, back and again i speak for republicans that negotiated the the, our bill it's not engraved in golden tablets we will be glad to negotiate anything that our friends in the house believe needs to be negotiated and I'm, i'm very open to do that so um, finally, uh, I can just say, Senator Kerry, or Secretary Kerry, and I had spirited exchange yesterday in the Senate Foreign Relations <laughs> Committee. I have never seen the United States of America as weak throughout the world as it is today. And, and I know that all the other thing that dominates the news is the is the missing airliner. And I'm telling you, bad bad things are going to happen in the world because the United States' lack of leadership, which is. Uh, it's, it's, the best example I can give you is, Ukraine just saw dismemberment of their country with the loss of Crimea. Russians are massed on the border. Uh, the old standard playbook going all the way back to Adolf Hitler, demonstrations are being fomented in these cities in the eastern Ukraine. And guess what? We won't even give them some light weapons to defend themselves with. They wouldn't fight in Crimea. They will fight in Ukraine. And we won't even give them weapons. We, won't, but we have military assistance programs with 50 countries. And you know why? You know why we won't give them weapons? Because it might be provocative to Colonel Putin. It is absolutely stunning. It is absolutely stunning. And uh, so my old friend John Kerry and I had a very spirited conversation. I told him my hero was Theodore Roosevelt, who said, talk softly, but carry a big stick. They're talking strongly and carrying a twig, and that's what the problem is today. So with that, in the words of Chairman Mao, it's always darkest before it's totally black. So I'd like to, <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to answer any questions or comments or insults that you might have. Thank you. <laughs> Linda Jones, no, you did I, such a great job introducing this morning. I'm going to opt for the last question. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Senator, yes. Senator, you're one of the few members that is willing to travel to some uh, inhospitable areas. Um, do you still, given our lack of leadership, do you think the UN still has a role to play in promoting peace in some of those places that you, you've been to. I, d- I do as long as it's not Chinese or Russian uh, sphere of uh, interest or influence or affects them. If it's Africa, for example, where we get cooperation, I think absolutely UN peacekeeping forces, uh, UNESCO, many of those organizations. But when it comes to Russia or Chinese interests, say North Korea, anything in the Middle East, and obviously it's the old uh, veto power that, that they have. You know what, about a month and a half ago the administration trumpeted the fact that we passed a resolution through the Security Council that humanitarian aid would be provided. I think it's been about a month and a half. Uh, humanitarian aid must be delivered to both sides, and this is a, everybody's solid, not one not one MRE has been delivered. Um, it's it's a joke, because every time there is something meaningful then the Russians and or the Chinese um, uh, veto it. So, and the other thing that bothers me about the UN too is the anti-Israel, um, flavor that, that permeates that body. Uh, Mahmoud Abbas uh, just announced that they're going to try to get into various international organizations and in parts of the UN to legitimize the PLO and the Palestinians. And unfortunately, uh, if it were not for our veto in the UN, there would be some really anti-Israel stuff that would be passed through there. And that, and that bothers me. About the UN, it really does. There's a there's an undertone of anti-Israel slash anti-Semitism that we ought to acknowledge and openly fight against, in my view. In addition to small arms, Senator, what is the path forward on Ukraine? And I ask yeah. that because you know you think that sometimes Europe will start taking the lead on some things, but I've noticed in recent days Germany has started started to waver. Uh, in, a, in the short term, give them some defensive weapons, start up a training program. By the way, we have military assistance programs with 50 countries, okay? It's not as if we are inventing something new. Get, get them some weapons with which to defend themselves. Or can, they, can they defeat the Russians? Hell no. But two things. One, for their morale they need it, but two, Putin right now is calculating cost-benefit in Ukraine. And the higher the cost it will be, the more likely it is, less likely it is, that he moves in order to quell the demonstrations and unrest that's taking place in the Eastern Ukraine uh, cities. So uh, there's there's so many things we can do. Remember, we're still the richest, most powerful nation in the world. One, long-term, and energy policy that we start getting energy to Europe. The reason why the Germans aren't gonna, and they lead, they, everybody follows the Germans. The reason why the Germans aren't gonna do anything is because of their, their absolute dependence on Russian energy. I mean, it's just a fact. Their former chancellor, Schroeder, who is a, one of the most corrupt men in history, is now defending Putin's move into into, Ukraine, into Crimea, if you can believe that. Uh, it's un- unbelievable. So. They're not going to do anything. They're not going to do anything. And for us to, again, talk strongly like we're going to with the Europeans. And by the way, with the Europeans, why don't we lead the Europeans rather than work with the Europeans? That's what we used to do under Ronald Reagan and others. So uh, uh, energy independence. Get the um, uh, the so more severe sanctions against against the Russians. And I mean serious sanctions rather than just a, a few individuals. Re-install, re, uh, re, reignite the uh, uh, program that that Obama canceled for uh, uh, air defense uh, systems, missile defense systems in Poland and Czechoslovakia. Um, have more uh, military exercises, particularly in, in the Baltics. Uh, move forward with NATO membership from Moldova and uh, and, and uh, Georgia. By the way, Moldova has 1,400 Russian troops occupying it, and they've been occupying it since the uh, downfall of the Soviet Union. By the way, don't forget that Colonel Putin said the worst event of the 20th century was the downfall of the Soviet Union. Have no doubt about what this guy is and what he is about. Uh, uh, and so, move them into move them into NATO. Uh, there's there's five or six other steps and measures we could take. But the other thing that we should do is have some presidential leadership. Why is it that Americans care more about a missing airliner than they do about a Russian dismemberment of of Crimea? Because the President of the United States will not tell the American people what's going on here. Ronald Reagan used to sit in the Oval Office and say, peace through strength. And and, uh, unfortunately, there is no presidential leadership, and I won't even talk about it, Syria except to remind you that 150,000 people have now been slaughtered, and <coughs> Lebanon is now destabilized with <coughs> one million refugees. Take a look at the map next time you're looking at it, see how big Lebanon is, and see how it is for a country that size with a million refugees. The whole region is being destabilized, and we aren't doing anything. So anyway. Rick. <coughs> Senator, uh, picking up on one of the points you just made. Uh, do you believe that Putin has been emboldened to the point in the wake of what he's been able to do in uh, Ukraine, that some of the former countries that were uh, part of the Soviet system that have since joined NATO are also this? Mm, um, <coughs> yes. I think the Baltics are. And there's already pressures. Uh, the po- population of Estonia is 40% Russian. Um, one reason for that is that uh, after the end of world war ii the russians went in and deported and executed uh, literally tens of thousands of citizens of those uh, baltic countries and particularly estonia with 40 percent they're putting all kinds of pressure again the energy uh, issue is uh, they're exploiting that and their propaganda from belarus into lithuania all kinds of the standard old soviet union destabilizing practices. Moldova and the Baltics, in that order, are the next effort to restore the the old uh, Russian empire. Don't forget what Henry Kissinger said. Henry Kissinger said, Russia with Ukraine is an empire. Russia without Ukraine is a country. And that is exactly the way Vladimir Putin views it. And that's why you're seeing this activity that he is embarked on. And There's 37 million people in that country. It's a rich country. And it is a, when you look at it strategically, it has a terribly tragic history for many, many, many years, including a couple of wars in Crimea. And uh, I, I think that if he does go into eastern Ukraine, that he may succeed very quickly militarily. But uh, Ukrainians are very well known for their capabilities to en- engage in partisan warfare, going all the way back to World War II. Yes. Senator, um, sort of moving east a little bit, um, I'm sure some of the, one of the countries watching most closely what's happening in Ukraine are the Chinese, and you also see what they're doing in the South China Sea with the Philippines and uh, the Japanese. Maybe you just sort of comment about sort of what things happening over there? Say, uh, the question was about China. Uh, a seminal moment uh, in the 21st century was when the President of the United States drew a red line said that if that red line was crossed and that Bashar Assad used chemical weapons, that the United States would uh, react. They crossed the red line. We've seen the bodies. uh, And he announced that he was going to strike. What a lot of Americans don't know is so were some of our allies, the Saudis, among others, were ready to strike UAE uh, in a a concerted fashion. So then he takes a 45-minute walk with with his chief of staff and and announces that uh, indeed he's going to go to Congress, knowing full well that without strong uh, persuasive powers that the Congress is not going to, persuasive effort, that the Congress is not going to approve. Uh, Listen, that's the day the Saudis decided to go their own way. That's the way countries all over the world uh, realize the United States had lost its credibility. And yes, it reverberates all the way to China. The Japanese right now are talking about a reinterpretation of the defense uh, uh, of of their constitution, which basically says Japan only acts in areas of self-defense. They are now going to, quote, reinterpret their constitution. They are spending a lot more money. They've got a stable government for the first time in years, and they are going to spend a hell of a lot more money on, on their own defense. They will not rely on us now with the Senkakus. That raises the, 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 the risk of a co- major confrontation rather dramatically. And it isn't just the, the Japanese. Uh, the Vietnamese are now best friends, which shows if you live long enough, anything can happen. Uh, uh, the Philippines are, are in, a, in a dispute with China. Uh, the, so are the South Koreans. So uh, yeah, the tensions have been ratcheted up, not just there, but every, every place in the, in the world. The United States has to lead. And if the United States doesn't lead, then there's a vacuum and bad people lead. And that's exactly been the result. Look, my friends, the bloodiest battle of our conflict in Iraq was the second battle of Fallujah. 96 soldiers and marines were killed, 600 wounded. The flags of Al Qaeda, the black flags of Al Qaeda, now fly over the city of Fallujah. It's, it's a 400,000 people, by the way. It's not a small city. And so this is the result of, of, of 12 years of conflict in, in Iraq because we left without a residual force. And now Iran is more and more influential. And uh, uh, General, uh, um, our director of national intelligence, General Clapper, testified the other day that this area of the Syria Iraq border, which is now taken over by Iraq, by, by Al Qaeda, is now a base for planning attacks on the United States of America. All, all of these things have consequences. And you know, I hate to keep harkening back to Ronald Reagan, but we didn't have a major conflict during the eight years he was President of the United States. You know, one of the reasons why? Three words peace through strength. Peace through strength. And now, On the day that uh, Chuck Hagel comes over to announce drastic cuts in defense spending, the Chinese announce a 12.2 percent increase in their defense spending, and they hide about half of the defense spending that they do. So it's 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 really um, uh, it's after I I I was not a great fan of my fellow Naval Academy graduate Jimmy Carter. But after the invasion of Afghanistan by Russia, Jimmy Carter got, if I may use the words, got religion and got tough. And we started supporting the Afghan freedom fighters and, and we started doing a, a lot of things. I had hoped that after this invasion of Crimea that the President of the United States would would, would come to a senses. Unfortunately, that, that is not the case. And yesterday when I challenged John Kerry on providing defensive weapons and small arms, well, it's an option that we are still, we're still ignore, uh, examining those options. Uh, and by the way, Russian arm shipments into Damascus have increased since we have been removing the chemical weapons. Uh, the support of Hezbollah has increased. The uh, barrel bombs, which are these god-awful cylinder-like things, packed with explosives and shrapnel, are being dropped at an ever-increasing rate, and guess who's winning the conflict? Bashar Assad. Remember, this was the President of the United States that two years ago, over two years ago, said, it's not a matter of whether Bashar Assad will leave, it's a matter of when. It's when uh, uh, Ben Panetta and General Dempsey, the weakest chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff I have ever met, and I've known them for many, many years, said, now, it's inevitable that Bashar Assad will be leaving. Does anybody believe that Bashar Assad is losing? Is there anybody on earth that believes that? And it's all because we didn't help them. We didn't help them when they needed help. And meanwhile, 5,000 heads out, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard. You see yesterday, the Iranians uh, uh, delivered 30,000 pounds of, uh, of food to, uh, uh, to Bashar Assad, and we Couldn't even get some MREs into our guys, and it's turned into a regional conflict. That's the long-term consequence of this. Yes, ma'am. Going back to immigration for a moment, can you comment on uh, the reaction you get from other members on the need to bring in highly skilled workers? On the need to bring in highly skilled workers, doctors, and yes, you know, there's two areas of immigration reform that everybody says they're for: STEM and Dream dreamers. Okay, everybody says we're, we're for that. STEM, my friends, I, I don't mean to insult your intelligence, but I remind you that in the major institutions in America, the, the majority of students who are taking STEM, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, are from another country. They're not from the United States of America. The majority of them why shouldn't we let them stay in the United States of America when they graduate with these degrees if they want to? That's what STEM is all about. The Dreamers, we all have this, uh, you know, this compassion for the Dreamers. Good to see you, sir. Yes. I almost told an Irish joke, but I do. i a lot of them. So, uh, if we could those standalone bills they would probably pass 98 to 2 in the in in the United States Senate but with our amending process where people would demand amendments then we would get into uh, some of the other more controversial aspects of it Um, I have never seen a greater coalition of support for a piece of legislation than there is for this Evangelicals, the Catholic Church, labor, AFL-CIO, farm workers, the growers, the uh, the chamber. Everybody is in favor of it, and yet we can't get off the dime um, and move forward, at least with some kind of a conference uh, on this issue. And it's very uh, obviously the reason why I opened with that comment is because of that. Um, So it's a compelling argument that stem Students be graduates be allowed to remain in this country if, if they want to, and I have yet to meet someone who is opposed to that. Yet we can't move on on, on the issue, and that's really unfortunate. Anyway, we have time for one last yeah, question, should, and that would go to you, do, Linda. We'll do this one, and, and oh then <laughs> okay. Linda, can I do that one? Yep. Senator, you mentioned the role that energy can play in in helping some of our, our allies in the Ukraine. At the same time, there's a reluctance among the environmental community to allow us to uh, export. You've been a leader on environmental issues. How do we kind of square that issue? Uh, I believe it was uh, in September, October last year where I think it was John Barrasso said to the president, when are you going to decide on the XL pipeline? The president said, I'm going to decide this year. Well, maybe somebody ought to show him a calendar. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's just outrageous that we are not doing that. But look, <laughs> I giving you <clears throat> some pretty pessimistic news today. Let me give you a long-term view. It's good. We're going to be energy independent. That is huge when you think about it. We're going to be an e- energy exporter. We've got manufacturing technology now, which is bringing <clears throat> manufacturing back to the United States of America. <clears throat> We're still the most innovative nation in the world. None of these new, uh, none of these new things, and they and the ch- constant changes to them are invented any place but the United States of America. Um, but there's a whole lot of good news about America's future in the long term. I'm just worried about, uh, about the short term.